Hi, I'm Chris Varner. And I'm Sean O'Brien. Welcome to It's Not the Differences. All right, welcome back, everyone. We're going to open today with, I guess we're just going to reveal our ages flat out just with this question. Because for myself, for sure, uh, cell phones are a fairly, in my mind, a recent phenomenon. I know a lot of you listeners don't, can't envision a world without cell phones. But I don't have to envision one because I lived it. And Chris, you had a very similar but not exactly the same experience. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, it's quite a bit a bad thing to say younger. <laughs> uh, anyways, my big technology thing was pagers. Growing up, only doctors had pagers. But by the time I was in high school, suburbanites like myself wanted people to think that we were important, so we would <laughs> we would actually have a pager. Although most people didn't page me. I, this is a true story. <laughs> I remember meeting a group of girls at the uh, movie theater and telling my buddy, I gave him a quarter and I said, go around and page me. <laughs> just, so, just so I'm talking to him, like, oh, man, another one? Like, look how important I am. Another one. <laughs> But truth be told, nobody, uh, yeah. even my parents didn't page me. Either. Now, to, we got to unpack that story just a little, because there's some listeners going, when you say pager, what do you mean? And why did you have to give them a quarter? <laughs> so we got to break it down. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot missing in there. The pager was a small device. It's smaller than your cell phone, but thicker, um, like a, sort of like a hockey puck, if it was a rectangle. And people could call you... But the pager would indicate you had a call, but wouldn't you couldn't answer it. You could just, I've had a call. And it would tell you the phone number. You could have codes if you wanted to. And you could go call someone back. But since you didn't have a cell phone, <laughs> you needed to find either a pay phone or some person who could let you use the house phone. Um, so they weren't terribly convenient. No. Um, we had a bunch of them with the big earthquake that hit back here several years ago. And we had, we had outlawed them at Hart High School. I was teaching at Hart High School. No pagers because of, you know, the tough turf of Hart High School. We didn't want everybody dealing drugs using their pagers to do so. Then the earthquake hit, and every kid that had a pager was able to communicate home and back and forth. And we realized those are actually valuable. <laughs> those are good things. We, we sort of need those. So we switched over to the mindset of, you know what? Go ahead and have your pager. It's fine because if your mom and dad need to contact but here's the real question, especially for school, without a cell phone, or for that matter, a pager, how could a parent contact the student at school? Not that many ways. The office. Call the school. Yeah. Then the school would go, well, all right, we'll find the student and tell them what you need them to know. You can imagine, listeners, that most parents said this isn't that important. Whatever, whatever it is, they can wait till they get home. So we had almost never, almost never, did someone say, I, my mom desperately needs to tell me to pick up milk at the store. They just wouldn't say that. <laughs> so has the cell phone and the immediacy of communication just made communication more banal, just made it more, these things aren't important to say, but now that I can say them to you, I'm going to go ahead and do so. I think the same application could go with pictures. Okay. You remember, we would, I, I always give the example to my students or whoever I'm talking about when this comes up that 
taking a picture of your food. That would have just been illogical before something, right? Because what would you have done? You would have to take the picture. Then you would have to go through that roll. At best, you get that hour, you know, go to the Kodak and get the uh, Those little the kiosks hour that yeah. now sell coffee. And yeah. then I'd come back. By then, that's the next day. And I go up and I go, hey, look what I had for lunch yesterday. Why is there a picture, What's your picture of my of Clams Casino <laughs> on this roll? Did I actually do that? I guess if you had a Polaroid camera, it would make a that slightly would be a more little, sense. But still, but can you imagine going to your brain? Hey, look, look what I ate right here. <laughs> this is what I ate. But it wouldn't even be that. It would be taking a Polaroid, and then you'd have to go to the coffee center, like a thousand copies, <laughs> and just start handing them out. Look what I'm eating right now. I'm actually not eating this because I'm handing these But earlier, out. I did eat People it. People would say, well, you're insane. Right. Why are you sending me that. this? Now that's, that's Instagram, That's right? a thing to do. That's a great point. Uh, and this is not to necessarily insult my students, but we have the pocket chart over here where they hold their cell phones every day and they don't get to use them during the day. And they don't complain. They don't find that to be onerous. The end of the day, when it's cleanup time, okay, put these things away, put those things over there, they can go get their phones. And it's out of 36 students, 32 of them immediately checking, checking the phones. What did I miss? I don't have the heart to tell them nothing. nothing You've really. missed nothing. If there was something important that happened, we would have told you. Nothing has happened. I even had one student say out loud, well, I have, I have big time FOMO. I'm like, well, at least you admit it. And FOMO for our listeners? Oh, fear of missing out. The idea that something's happening in the world that I'm not privy to and I'm gonna miss the carousel ride or whatever it is. So without having cell phones growing up, for me, it was, I'm going out to play in the field. Okay, come back before the street lights turn on, or when the street lights turn on. That was it. Yeah. That was the whole thing. We, not even who you're going with. No. Because we're going with your friends whom I know. Who else are you going to go with? Well, back then, also, your best friend was just the person who's right Proxim next to you. Yeah, proximity. Best, best friend was friend. pure What's proximity. His name? I don't know. The guy next that door. guy. He's in the best He's friend's the house. Yeah. <laughs> You didn't have people outside your ability to travel. No. So yeah. if you had a bicycle, you had a slightly larger friend group. That was, that was the equation. Miles, Whatever you could pedal to. <laughs> and when a friend moved away, that you're not my friend anymore. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. It, it's, it, I wish that didn't happen, but you're gone now. You will fade from my head. Um, <laughs> but with the cell phone with the students today, we, all, we often talk about it being, well, but it's such a source of information. I was just talking at lunch with some teachers. For students struggling to learn English, Google Translate's a fantastic tool for them, and the cell phone is you know, an immediate device. Even as we were just talking, you just checked your Apple Watch. Um, does that counterbalance the distraction that it has? Yeah, you know, what's funny is when I first got into teaching, I was very, very big on the no cell phones. And then, you, you remember, it just got mm -hmm. away from you. You just can't, you couldn't manage it. It wasn't worth your time. You know, the idea of the of the uh, pocket slips and stuff like that, I think that's good too. But I also think that a little bit, I feel like the wave is coming and there's nothing we can do. And when you say the wave, what you mean the, the technological the wave? The technological wave. Yeah. I mean, just look where we're at compared to five years ago, compared to 10 before. And it's just there's nothing you can do. This is the way it's going to go. That's where I've had to do it. So what am I holding on to? Mm -hmm. Is it a matter of respect? Do I really think they're being disrespectful of being on the phone? 
And maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I don't know. But at some point, I had to embrace more with the change, and that can be a metaphor on any number of mm. levels of things. That this is, you can't, what do they say in the No Country for Old Men? You can't stop what's coming. Yeah. I mean, that's just, it's going to, the technology is going to get better. It's going to get faster. It's going to be more readily available than anything we can even possibly imagine now. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out a way to roll No, it's a good thing. question. I mean, in, I've been teaching 30 years, and let's, if we go back 20 of those years, the, the, hey, put that handheld computer away would never have been a comment. There wasn't any such thing. There was occasional note passing. Yeah. But again, that's proximity. You couldn't pass a note to someone who wasn't near you. You could try to get the chain going, but you risked exposure. Well, man, if I'm going to pass this note three seats down, that's three ways it could be seen. And the teacher so, reads it yeah, out loud. Yeah, and then there's that. So I'm going to risk only nearby people. Um, and, and even that was sort of rarish. Note passing wasn't really all that common. Um, so let's move forward. What if, to go to your point, we are still teaching when the, the physical cell phone is no longer necessary. Instrumentality is not necessary. There's some mental uplink. Kids wear a patch behind their ear that links to their phone, which can still be at home. What, you, what do you tell them now? You know, the, the sad part is you and I were discussing earlier in the week the, the, the idea of artificial intelligence, et cetera. And just think back to your big Trekkie. Mm -hmm. the, the, they couldn't even imagine the technology we have now. How many centuries right. in the future was right. that? You know, and right. they, they couldn't even. So I think what the question you're asking, I don't think I have the mental capacity to even understand <laughs> it from the same level if you would have told me in 1993 <coughs> the idea or concept of the Internet. Right. I was still, I had a pen pal in, in Chicago that I would, you know, my dad maybe get a pen pal to meet somebody new. I don't remember how this happened. It could have been a crazy person, by the way. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I remember waiting for a letter. That was a week minimum. Sure. And that's if they sent it right when they received it. But now, just, I mean, can you imagine the concept of going, you're going to be able to, basically a typewriter that's hooked up to a TV and you can send it immediately. Right. And then they can respond to me. Like, I, I, it's, I can't. It's beyond my Well, scope. if you go to the, the, right now, if one wished, and had their cell phone handy, any question or thought you had, you could follow up in the repository of human knowledge called the Internet. Huh, I wonder, who is that guy in that one movie? We don't have to search our brains no. anymore. Just, I'll just look it up from there. If you took the instrumentality away, so now it's not even you've got to punch it in. You literally just have to think it. What does that do to education? If, if a kid, all right, so kids, we're in history class. Let's do a really old school history class. When was the, the Battle of Hastings? A kid just cocks his head for three seconds, accesses it, spits it back out. Has he learned anything? Was he going to retain that? Does he need to retain <laughs> it? Need to retain I, can, I can access this anytime I need to, so I don't need to put it in the wetware of my brain. Hey, you're melting my brain. That's, that's, I mean, it's, you're right. I, I just can't. I'm, it's, uh, so wouldn't the future of education from that standpoint, and I'm going to do a second thing on this, but wouldn't the future then, if it's anyone can access any information at any time, then teaching's no longer, well, I need to give you information. No, I can do that without you. So you think it would go more philosophical? It would be the use of, okay. right? So by extrapolation, shouldn't we do that now? Like, are we waiting? Are we going to wait for the moment 
when the great big magic ball can answer all our questions? It sort of already can with our little cell phones. Uh, did you have a set of encyclopedias when you were a kid? Of course. Yes. It was outdated the minute you bought the damn thing. But you had them. And if you wanted to know something, you had to go to the volume with the letter. And you had to sometimes think, well, would it be under this letter or that one? Look it up. Half the time it referred you back to the other volume. Like, thanks. <laughs> you could have just put it here also. There's no rule that says you can't duplicate entries. But oh, go to the O's. Okay. Look it up. And then you realize every year, especially in, like in geopolitics, yeah, that's not a country anymore. It says it in my encyclopedia, but they had a world war last year. Yeah, the volume 89 war. to 91 yeah. a lot changed. Right? Yeah. Now they have instant access to all information. One, how do they know it's reliable? They don't. They don't. And we were talking before we broadcast here on the credulity of some students that they will just believe it's on the internet. Of course it's true. So I think part of our job will be how can you tell good from bad info? How can you tell what is true and what isn't? Which I guess is philosophy, right? Um, but second, now that you know that, what do you do with it? Well, could this, do you think that if we had this paradigm shift that it would also fix the apathetic nature of many teenagers, including myself when the I was a teenager? apathetic nature. Well, what were you, it's not like a weird question. What are they apathetic about? Because they aren't apathetic about everything. Correct, but they're apathetic about facts and knowledge that we tell them to memorize, to test them, for them to forget. Yeah. So now that that's taken off, does their entire... No, I, I think I know what you mean. Do they approach school, it's no longer just going to cram me full Correct. of things. I've already got that, so now I, I can, can already think at a higher that. level. It's a higher level of thinking. One would hope that yeah. a, a student would be much more interested. I mean, this is a tough question, but... Are students who come to school and are somewhat less engaged than they could be because they're waiting for the good stuff and it doesn't come, or they're just convinced it won't? Because I've had lessons when I'll go home and I'll design it and I'll come executed brilliantly, and I still got two or three. I'm like, what is it going to take? I like, I, come on, <laughs> man, I had clowns and balloons. There was an elephant in I here did for a, a few seconds. At one point. I, right, did I learned how to do. <laughs> And you still are disengaged. Is it because you were just convinced this wasn't going to be good no matter what? Or did I still somehow not reach you in a way that I can't fathom? I tend to think it's the former, that there are some students who, no, I hate it. I don't even care. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. Because it's happening in this building, I hate it. But I can't think that's a high number. I don't think so. I've actually had that with the student. Exactly yeah. what you're talking about. And I, I asked the student staff, and I said, you know, are you enjoying the class? What could, what could I do? Or, or maybe is there a topic that we discussed that you would think that we should have gone longer or moved on? And they said, no, I love your class. It's my favorite. I just don't smile a lot. And I went, thank God this isn't an improv show. Okay, right? good. Right. <laughs> right. Tell your face. Yeah. But that was, they just it were okay. barren emotion. But so. I don't smile a lot. I All right. I, I might want to work on that. smile a lot. I might want to work on that, but okay, good to know. <laughs> My favorite class I love, but don't ever change. <laughs> right? Yeah, you mean that? Oh, I completely didn't do it. <laughs> Just flat Wednesday Force Adams. Force modulation. <laughs> <laughs> so if, 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 then, we are saying that the, the access to an accumulation of pure, just factual knowledge, well, it's definitely going to increase. No one's arguing it's going to go backwards. No. 
then should we already have or begin the transition to a more a, a less knowledge-based approach? Does that make sense? A yeah, more no, a more 100%. process based, a more skills based, the more now that you have this knowledge, here's what you do with it approach. And I think some of our brothers and sisters and other other um, departments and areas have it harder than others. Right? For me, I, I'm a writing teacher. There's a limited number of facts that one needs. Whereas if someone's a US history teacher, they might argue, no, there's a much greater uh, volume of facts that I need to have taught. I, I go back to one of our colleagues who said, the art of history is learning how to think like a historian. And um, I mean, what is your view on should students be taught, we, we, well, let's go to the trite, taught how to think versus what to think? Or is it that pure? Maybe it's not that pure. I, I don't think it's that cut and dry, yeah. but also at what age do we start this? Because from the earliest, I, I, it could, I, I equate a lot of this to just how we view school based on how it was presented to us. And I equate that a lot to when I tell people the importance of getting more sleep. Oh. How was sleep introduced? It was punishment. You do that or you're going to go to bed. So we looked at it as that, that's it. I, I had to go here and now I'm not allowed to do anything. I have to go to sleep. And then it became, with the FOMO and everything, I'm missing out on something. I can't go to sleep. Then with the Netflix, it became I'm binge-watching all these episodes. I can't go to sleep. I switched the paradigm for myself on sleep to went, this is what I need. This is how you know, my stress, anxiety, my working out, everything revolves around sleep. And I love going to sleep now, but I didn't before. So I hated school. Not that I had bad teachers or anything, but I, I just didn't like sitting there. I didn't... Not, I didn't have a whole lot of teachers, I would say, that made the information that I was forced to memorize, test, I'm going to forget, how it was going to help me in life. Maybe if they learn early on the, the idea of logic and, you know, philosophical sort of thing. I, and again, I don't have a, an answer for this or when this would be, but get kids to love the idea of learning instead of force learning. Okay. But then how do we test that? How do we know that a teacher's doing that? I think that's why that's uh, yeah. I I... Okay, yeah, a bunch of questions there. One, how early can you sort of reliably turn over the reins of learning to the student? I mean, I don't think anyone would argue with kindergartner, we're just going to wander the school and see what we see, you know, because half would come back dead, <laughs> and that would be probably a failed lesson. Well, that's why we don't play with wolves. You know, I mean, we can't really, not everything can be experiential or should be. Uh, some things, okay, hey, I'm older than you, I know how this works, we don't put our fingers in the electrical socket, it's a bad idea. But the transition from I'm just going to tell you a bunch of stuff to you're going to learn how to use a bunch of stuff has to happen at some point. Um, I, I, that'd be a great question. That's a good pedagogical win. Uh, when's, the, when's the relationship change? How much does it change? At what level? Um, I know that in my class, in the writing class, I, I just told them today, that if there were some sort of diagram, here's how you write a brilliant essay, you just check off these 15 things, I would have given it to you by now. <laughs> I I wouldn't, I'm not withholding it. And the problem is there isn't any such thing. It's the equation I gave today was, um, it's a lot like ballroom dancing. There are techniques that you have prepared and are ready to do, but you don't know which ones you're gonna do until you hear the music and meet your partner. And even then, you have to improvise in the moment. So you're improvising, but going to set pieces that you know. 
it's our job, it seems to me, as a writing teacher, let me teach you those set pieces. Here are the techniques that you need to have in your pocket that you're going to take out when it's appropriate. As far as when is it appropriate, I can practice with you, but ultimately that comes down to you. That's your decision. I don't know what a historian does with that. Does a historian say, here's what caused this war, now let's think about war in general? I'm not sure how that works for that discipline. I think it would be possible. I also think that it's a different way of teaching. Mm -hmm. it, would, it would be a much different way. It's, it, and we already, you know, it's easier to find someone who can pedal out the facts and ask somebody an idea, but what you're talking about, it, it's not, it's not that simple. And it's, I, I believe it's just a, it's a tough thing to say because then you get into interpretation of thing. And now we're, between, you know, there's a lot of talk about changing curriculum based on, you know, current events, the way things are going. Right. And then there's arguments over that. So we're talking about changing the whole thing of, of, of teaching, the whole way we do it. I think it's just got to be presented in a right way to where you can draw conclusions of things. But the problem is in history, there are conclusions already drawn. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we... Yes, it'd be like in science, I'm sure a science teacher or a scientist would say, no, what you need to do is have students derive truths. It's, science isn't a collection of facts we're just gonna teach you, it's a process, granted. But we have a limited amount of time and limited resources. Are we really gonna force students to learn how to derive a fact when that fact is already known? Right? How do we know there's gravity? I could just tell you, and I could show you, and this is the rate of things falling, it's this fast. Or we could spend a month dropping stuff and measuring it, and at the end of the month we go, it's about this fast. Yep, we knew that. Kids would go, well, why don't you just tell us? Hmm. So I don't know what processes, I used to do a thing, this is gonna be really dry, where I didn't teach the rules of grammar, I gave, here's a million sentences, or however many I had, they're all doing the same thing, figure out the rule that they're all following. And it took forever. They understood the rule, but like, okay, that was four days to learn how apostrophes work. Like, and you know it now, like, I really get it. But I could have also just told it to you. Because what did I, it's not so much what did I teach, what did I not? Hmm. Everything's a choice. We, I mean, how many times have you had to make that sort of Sophie's choice, am I teaching this or that? Because I don't have unlimited time and resources. I just don't. And I don't know where that fulcrum point lies. I think with AI, as you brought up, it's got to be heading in the direction away from rote memorization. Doesn't it have it to be? It has to. Because like you said, just the access of information is, is so fast. I mean, but why would I need to have this memorized? Other than like appearing on Jeopardy, why I can access this. It, you know, it's sort of similar to, there's a lot of places that are lamenting the loss of teaching handwriting. Yeah. And I think, okay, but give me the case for handwriting. What's the case for handwriting? Well, you know, it's just part of being a cultured person. Why? Well, we, not everything should be typed. Why not? Typing is really easy to read. What if you don't have access to a typewriter? Where are you living? Where, <laughs> tell me this person. Tell me this person. So I don't actually see the case for handwriting. I'm starting to not see the case for spelling. Because you get Exactly why do I need to know how to spell every word in the English language? I would agree that you need overall spelling rules so that you're not completely mashing the keyboard <laughs> and hoping that autocorrect will derive your meaning. But 
what if we get super reliable speech to text? Because now it's not 100% reliable. What if we get a point where, no, totally reliable. You can mumble, it'll, it'll get you. Will kids just speak their essays? I don't know how to spell any of those words, but I know how to say them. What's the problem? What's the harm? Like, I don't, no one's painted me the dystopian picture of everyone because misspelling I think we, stuff. We, as professionals who spent years learning and honing our craft, we don't want to feel like it's not right. special. <laughs> Because we, was worthless. we just yeah. wasted right. 20 years of but our you're, lives. But you're a football coach. You would not, okay, you know what? We're running this off tackle play because we worked it in practice forever. Coach, they're stopping it. We worked it. The double wing will still Keep work. running <laughs> it. We have not minus 30 yards of rushing in the game. But we practiced it. Granted, we shouldn't have. We should do some other things. I think you're absolutely right. What's that called? The sunk cost fallacy? Yeah. Whatever I've spent my time and energy in has become valuable. It doesn't even matter if it works. It is inherently valuable because of the time and energy I put into it. So teachers were super guilty of this. And don't we, is it funny because you hear so much with like the coal industry and everyone's talking about, well, they need to find different jobs because we're going right, away from that. Right. And the people that I hear saying that are also many times the ones that if I said, well, no more handwriting, and you're well. Wait a second. Yeah, right. You, you, know. you can't just be in on one industry. Yeah. If you, <laughs> well, the cold people better find new. It's their fault. But me, I'm a calligrapher. Years. You know, <laughs> desperately needed people. So, what about let's go to this final thought: our very jobs. Because what if it gets to a point where AI could do it? I think. Hey, do you think that could happen? Yes. Okay. I do think. Should we start polishing our resumes I, now? I, That's why we're doing the podcast. I think. I think. Yes. <laughs> Second career. Side hustle. Get this to twenty-five viewers, and it's just oh, going to. So all you dozen go. people listening. I think. Uh, I think it, it's really we should be looking at how fast this will happen. Okay. Not. I think those just um, what we were talking about earlier in the week with our, it's going to move at such a rate. Because as technology gets better, it gets faster with that technology. You yeah. know, and so I think that it will have, I think there will always be a need for teachers to an extent, but it's, it's you're going to have to be better teachers. We can't just. That's a good way of looking just, at we're it. We're going to have to be better. We're going to have to be more. And then instead, I mean, with history, I like that. that's a lot of U.S. history to cover in one year. And instead of cramming all that, it could be, you could do all the wars that America's right, ever been right. in, and that could be a class, and you could go deeper with it because you don't need all that information because they can access you sure. know, the exact dates or whatever the case may be. But we will have to get better at what we do, and it will have to be an art. And it will have to be appreciated like an art, because well, I think it truly is. We'll have to be able to do things that an AI can't do. Correct. And what it can do well now is access information. Right. So we cannot just be the repository of information, because they've already got that in their little cell phones or their computers. So that's the challenge, then. We've got to get better at our jobs in a way that keeps us ahead of this approaching wave of AI. I was actually okay. scared with this forced distance learning that someone was going to go, you know, we don't really need as many teachers. I can give this teacher 100 students, 200 students, and do the exact same thing. What's the difference? What's the difference? And the good news about that is that we found out the difference when we returned. Yeah, oh, yeah. You and I talked endlessly 100%. about this. And students, I mean, they are, with, I don't know if I have any exceptions, just eager Thankful to be here. I get it's like a wedding reception at the end. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I don't want to say it, you don't have to thank me every day for just doing my job, 
because they want to express gratitude. You know, okay, if you need to, good. It's a little tiresome, but but fine. That's fine. If you need to express gratitude, that's good for me. Um, but what if you have some weird little you know, android, smiley android with infinite patience who will just answer every single question thrown at them no matter how dumb and never get frustrated? we got to be better than that. Somehow we've got to forge the connection that an AI couldn't do. Yeah. Well, that's the job, so I'm going to go off and uh, learn how to be better than an AI <laughs> in just a second here, and we'll see you all next week. If you'd like to hear more from Chris Varner, please visit my lifestyle channel called Just a Dad Bod. And for Sean, you can find my books on Amazon or on my website at seanobrienauthor.com.